Welcome to the Coaching and Positive Psychology Podcast. In these summer episodes, you will be hearing the best of Valerie Burton's interviews with special guests. Each episode is packed with practical insights to help you coach yourself and others toward achieving your goals. Want to leverage your career success and help others in their own personal growth? Or maybe you want to work to be meaningful without sacrificing your relationships and well-being. Coaching may be the dream career you've been looking for. Download your free guide, The Path to Becoming a Successful Coach, to see if coaching is right for you and the next steps you can take to become one. Download now at capinstitute.com. You can click the link in the show notes. Welcome to Positively Psyched. I'm your host, Valerie Burton, and this is the podcast that helps successful women navigate the real-life challenges we face on our journey to living authentic, fulfilling lives. And this episode is all about the little things that can make a big difference when it comes to accomplishing your most important goal. You know, oftentimes we underestimate what it takes to accomplish a goal. And it's not just about knowing what steps to take, but really it's about understanding yourself, understanding your habits, and the pitfalls many of us experience that could be avoided with a little knowledge and know-how. And I know that the field of positive psychology offers so much in this area. So Senia Maiman is my guest today, but I got to give you a little background before I bring Senia into the conversation. So my background is in positive psychology. In fact, it was a big turning point for me in my coaching career when I decided to go back to graduate school. So I have a master's degree in journalism. And along the way, you know, I was writing books and I was coaching and I began wondering, you know, is there an academic foundation for coaching? What what else could I study? Because love of learning is one of my top strengths, and I just wanted more. I wanted to better understand how to help people and to make sure that the ways in which I was helping people were accurate and legitimate. And so I went back to grad school in 2007 at the University of Pennsylvania, which basically is the first university in the world to offer graduate programs in applied positive psychology. And so when I started in my very first semester, I met Senia Maiman. I met her because she had already finished the graduate program, and she was a teaching assistant to the father of positive psychology, Dr. Marty Seligman. So as I was taking Marty's classes, she was grading my papers and offering me feedback. <laughs> I hear her laughing. <laughs> and we realized that we're kindred spirits. We're born the same year. We're both passionate about research and coaching and entrepreneurship. And we've really experienced a lot of ups and downs of life over these last 12 years with a lot of long phone conversations. And so even though we don't see each other often because she's all the way in California and I'm in Atlanta, um, we are so very connected and she's such a wonderful friend. Um, And she's also been my life coach, lucky me. (laughs) So let me introduce her to you. Senia Maiman is an executive coach to clients such as Google and Intel. She is CEO of Silicon Valley Coaching um, and Silicon Valley Change, I'm sorry, Coaching. And she's co-author of a really great business book called Profit from the Positive with our fellow UPenn alum, Margaret Greenberg. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Cynia also has a PhD and an MBA from Stanford in organizational behavior. She's obviously, as I said, a graduate of the Master of Applied Positive Psychology program at the University of Pennsylvania. And to top all that off, she got a really, really easy bachelor's degree in mathematics, (laughs) (laughs) mathematics and economics at Harvard. Uh, and and I just learned the other day. Now I knew you spoke Russian, but I didn't realize you spoke Japanese and French too. <laughs> but let me tell you what I love most about Sinia. It's her humility, her intelligence, her willingness to share what she knows, and her love for her children. So hey there, Sinia. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, Val. It's it's such a delight to be on this show. And I think you summarized it right. You and I both have a real curiosity for learning. And we've just we've seen a lot of each other's lives in the past 12 years, professional and personal and curiosity and direction in life. It's it's been a humbling and wonderful experience. Yeah, some of it has been high points and some of it's been (laughs) not so high points. (laughs) <laughs> but, you know, I remember I had uh, come out to California, I think, oh, I don't remember how many years ago it was. It might have been like seven or eight years ago. Uh, I was doing a speaking engagement, and it was nearby, uh, and I came to your house. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were having, we were just sitting out on your patio, chatting and eating and talking about our vision and our goals. And you were telling me about this book you wanted to write, and you were working on it with Margaret. Um, mm-hmm. And I laughed because it seems like like a few months later, the book was here, but I know it wasn't that fast. <laughs> thing and I feel the same way with your book it's about time that just uh, I would say months ago you were saying and I'm trying this experiment in my life and with Jeff and all of a sudden dun, 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 the audiobook is here you're launching your book we we see so little in terms of time about other people's lives that it looks like people are instant successes <laughs> right. like they're snapping their fingers and then voila here's my book from McGraw Hill <laughs> But that's not how your book came along. It, uh, and you know what? I, I have the, the hard copy of your book, but I really enjoyed the audio book. <laughs> it was in a British accent. It was delightful. <laughs> you know, that's kind of funny because I might have something with that. I, uh, my, my Siri talks in a British accent, and I forgot that I had said it that way. So every time, every time I'm getting navigation, people are like, does she have a British accent? I'm like, yeah. I like it. <laughs> I should try that for variety. I, I actually hear, you've probably heard about this too, that it's it's fun to do things to break up what you're doing. Like try, this is really hard, but try brushing your teeth with the other hand. Yes. Or, or, or for example, setting your Siri to a British accent. That's a fun one. I think the kids in the backseat would enjoy something like that. Well, you know what? Um, my son, Alex, who just turned five, actually sometimes takes on this British accent. Mommy, that's how he does it. He goes up, Mommy. <laughs> now, if only we, could, we could subtle force feed them Japanese and French and Chinese and Spanish in that way, too. <laughs> exactly, exactly. He's, he's not doing too bad on the Spanish, so we'll see how that comes along. But, you know, your, your book... Um, Although it's, you know, it's profit from the positive, how do you boost productivity and transform your business? You know, what are the leadership strategies? But it's really about personal development. And 
as you know, when I was writing It's About Time, for me, it was really a personal transformation. This Mm -hmm. is a subject I was I knew I needed to write about it because I had come to a point in my life where I thought, I don't want to keep struggling with time. I don't want to keep struggling with procrastination. I don't want to have a schedule that's too full. And even though I have achieved many of the elements of my vision that are important, there's so much in it now that, you know, at times it was starting to feel like too much. And so, And you coached me during this period, even as I was writing the book, around some of these issues. You talked to me about things I ought to be reading and thinking about. And one of the things I actually was listening to this book during this whole journey of of my book, um, I was listening to Profit from the Positive. And you have a whole section you call The Productive Leader with Mm -hmm. a lot of just practical insights. So I want to dig into some of that stuff. But first, I I want them to know a little bit more about you because you're just such a fascinating um, person to me. So you didn't start out in positive psychology and coaching. <laughs> yeah, I laugh because I started out, Val, probably in something that is uh, – 180 degrees, so exact opposite. If you could reach your left hand over to your left wall for all of our listeners, wherever they are, and their right hand over to the right wall, so completely, <laughs> completely opposite, I would be your left hand about 20 years ago and your right hand uh, now. And I really mean that. I majored in math and econ undergrad. Then I went straight to a job at Morgan Stanley Asset Management. And I stayed in that, in that fine. Right. You say, wow. And I say, wow, because that's not how you and I know each other. Yeah. <laughs> and then I stayed in that finance investment life for a little bit. I went to Stanford for business school, which was incredible because it also opened my eyes to operations and HR and accounting, which was really hard for me. <laughs> I loved math, but accounting was super hard for me. Oh, how funny. And, <laughs> Oh, my gosh. And when you think math, it's also the kind of math that it really what I did between 18 and 21 or 22 is things like open surfaces and closed surfaces. And is a donut the same thing as a coffee cup, metaphorically? <laughs> and I, I loved it. It's it, you really you have to think and it's very step by step and very logical. But then I, I, I went to work on Wall Street, then to business school. And after I had been working, I had been co-running a startup. And uh, actually, I I don't know how you came to it. I'd love to ask right after I say this. I got an email and I saw some news articles about positive psychology. And I saw something in my email, but mainly it wasn't even in the email. There was a, a time special issue on the science of happiness. And I was reading these things and I thought, this is curious. This is curious. This is more. And the question that I kept asking myself was, how on earth is this related to what you're doing as investor relations head of a, <laughs> a hedge fund? And it wasn't. So that was a big decision for me just to go back to a a master's program and you know when you when you have good friends they will tease you in good ways so a really close friend of mine from high school says Senya do you really need all that education (laughs) (laughs) I agree with her It's, it's delightful to hear that so I did that um, you and I were both in Marty Seligman's program and when I see him at reunions I I remind him he changed my life I I would not have gone on to a PhD in organizational behavior, Mm. which is 
I would summarize that as the study of motivation, the motivation of the individual, mm-hmm. the group, the team. And I just would not have gone on to do that because I didn't I never I didn't take a single psych class undergrad while working on math and econ. And I think that's because I wonder if you have this. I just don't have as much interest in the things that are less positive psychology. I don't have anything studying depression or panic attacks. I'm delighted that there are people who do that and who are experts. I'm not and I don't have a an interest in that, but I do want to know what makes people really successful, what makes people super productive, what makes people feel very alive. Yeah, we definitely share that because I I had even contemplated and just kind of dabbling looking at programs that were related to psychology and even counseling, but it weighed me down. I didn't, I was Mm -hmm. always interested in motivation. I was curious about what makes people tick and what creates a fulfilling life. And so when I discovered it wasn't an article that I saw, I was online, like I Mm -hmm. said, thinking, what could I, what could I learn that would enhance my ability to coach and Mm -hmm. write in a way that really helps people? And I googled a master's degree in life coaching mm-hmm. and some kind of way the program at Penn came up. Oh, how neat. It's so funny. You and I have known each other for a long time. I did not know this. That's really neat that you, with your love of learning, that you went searching for something that would continue helping you in your work in life. Yeah. And, and I didn't find a master's in life coaching, but, um, <laughs> you know, I discovered the book Authentic Happiness. I read that and then learned optimism, which was my favorite of, of Dr. Seligman's books. And um, from that point, I was like, maybe I should apply. Who knows? Maybe they'll let me in. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and they welcomed you with open arms. So that was. <laughs> yeah, they let me in. <laughs> and I'm super grateful. <laughs> it was the best educational experience of my life. And the the relationships with people and the um, in- including you were truly amazing, which at the core of positive psychology, what what did Chris Peterson say, you know, all the time, relationships matter, mm-hmm. people, other people matter. Um, and so that's, mm-hmm. that might be one of the biggest lessons I learned from MAP. And when I graduated, um, I'm, uh, within a year, I made some pretty major life changes. Um, mm-hmm. And I think some of those were spurred by the questions that came from going through the program and understanding, having a deeper understanding of resilience and happiness and meaning in life and all of those things, it caused me to uh, really look at my life differently and make some really big choices. And looking back, that was pivotal for me. Um, so how would you now, like, how would you describe your purpose? I am a commitment to helping people find the tools and practice for standing up for their true selves. Mm. Oh, I love the way you said that. So what is standing up for your true self? What does that mean? It's two parts to me, standing up, uh, actually taking a stance, being vocal, being loud, and then finding out what's right for you. Mm. Positive psychology fit for me that I'm so uh, relieved and also uh, so happy that I've found something that that is my my 
direction, something I keep getting energy from. And it, we get in, indications left and right. Try this or try that from our friends, from things we read. Maybe we should follow those. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So you are so good at that mission. When you mentioned tools, I think, you know, when I was working on Successful Women Think Differently, which originally was my capstone project mm-hmm. in our graduate program. It was People at that time, and we changed it for the book, Successful Women Think Differently. And I remember calling you, and I was talking to you about what I was what I was writing, and you started talking about Dr. Carol Dweck's work at Stanford around mm-hmm. mindset, which was really huge uh, for me because I realized that in many ways I had had a fixed mindset. You know, I, I had for a long time in my life been praised for being the first because I was I was young when I started school and I finished college early and I finished grad school at 21 and I wrote a book in my 20s. And so that had become a part of my identity. And um, one of the things I know is that when that becomes a part of our identity, oftentimes we don't want to pursue challenges that we might fail at because then maybe we're not as great as people think we are. Um, that was really huge. And so along the way on the, in this last dozen years or so, Senia, you might not realize um, some of the just simple things that you've said that have made a really big difference. And so I wanted to be able to share a little bit of you <laughs> with my tribe um, because I think that what you have to say is so powerful. And so when we think about this whole concept, you know, I wrote It's About Time. The subtitle is The Art of Choosing the Meaningful Over the Urgent. Um, I think a big part of that is making the most of the time that we have. And when we begin pursuing goals, goals that stand up for our authentic selves, goals that are true to who we are and, and why we're here and they're meaningful, Sometimes I think we can get stuck because we don't understand the how-to around goals, and we end up being unproductive, and then we get frustrated. And when we get frustrated, we might feel like giving up, or we might take a break, when if we just made little tweaks, maybe we wouldn't have to do that. Maybe we would be more energized instead. So Mm -hmm. in Profit from the Positive, you talk about productive leaders, and you say that it's about more than time management, which I completely agree. Given that your book is about time, I I never made that connection. That's really (laughs) interesting. Yeah, time management makes me feel stressed, and my shoulders start to go up to my neck, and I'm like, I'm not going to be good at this. (laughs) I I, I love what you're doing. So some of my coaching training is in somatic coaching, which means physical coaching, or what is embodied, what does your body do? And I love that you're saying, look, I can recognize these things as my shoulders tense, and even people who are listening to us, they are probably (laughs) tensing their shoulders now, and uh, may I suggest that we all kind of shrug up and then roll our shoulders back and then down and literally like just shrug up again and yes that tension is there and then we roll our shoulders back and down and i don't mean to make uh, the podcast into an aerobics class but I, i'm i'm saying part of this in our coaching the, session Senia. so i think <laughs> This is part of life. Standing up for your true self, part of it is knowing what is my true self saying. If your shoulders are telling you something, they're telling you something. Mm -hmm. If your gut is telling you something, it's telling you something. And yes, you may need to go out and get data. So I just agree with you. Being productive is more than time management. Being 
alive is is noticing what what's going on and and taking small steps yeah it is about taking small steps just even think about the things that you did you googled how can i get more experimental and science-based data in a sense that was your overall mm-hmm. question how can i do that that's a small step or val in saying that i've been your life coach what we did actually i think you and i did a brilliant thing is we exchanged coaching and at the same time i was a, a such a happy recipient of your coaching which also made me pause and get into some of the things that's in the subtitle of, of your book what is meaningful for me mm-hmm. what is important for me i think there's something about combining those two things which are so very different what is important for us what's meaningful and then what's a small thing we can take what's a small action we can take yeah so one of the things that you say is that we should trick ourselves into getting started (laughs) what does that mean oh you could do it in so many different ways that let me give you two examples uh, one is floss. <laughs> so floss, let regular floss, like brushing your teeth, flossing your teeth. There is research by this researcher out of Stanford. His name is BJ Fogg on little things, little actions. I think he calls them tiny habits. He had two groups of people, of, of both of whom he told to floss their teeth. One group, he said, okay, go home and floss, floss your teeth every day for a week. And the other group, he said, go home and floss one tooth. And I, I would like to have been in the room. <laughs> exactly. I think you're having the, the same reaction as me. What what was their reaction to go home with floss one tooth? I mean, is that a joke? What does that mean? <laughs> so they went home and they flossed one tooth and then they came back and it seemed like the study was over. And I don't remember the exact time frame, but something like two or three months later, he checked back in in depth with all of with both groups and he found out to what degree were they flossing their teeth. So do you do you want to hazard a guess as to the result? Well, you know, I'm thinking that if they flossed one tooth, they were getting into the habit of flossing more than one tooth. Who's going to just floss one tooth? That is exactly it. It's a little bit like choosing and being forced. So they're, they've gotten into that habit of picking up the floss and doing something so small that it doesn't feel like a challenge. It feels like, oh, why not? Where's the other group? And maybe it was, it's just a bit overwhelming to floss all your teeth. And they just said, oh, forget it. It's too much. <laughs> I like gum disease. <laughs> forget it. <laughs> <laughs> How important is that for me, right? <laughs> so what can we do in our lives? I'll tell you one thing that I've done in my life. I, am, I have a big interest in bravery. And this is a this is a little bit ambitious, but I am working on two books at the same time. One is a book on brave leadership and how can we be braver? And that's on my own based on some research that I'm looking into and, and a course that I'm teaching at Stanford Continuing Studies. And then with my incredible co-author, Margaret Greenberg, we've just had a, an over decade long, really, really close working relationship with margaret we're working on the follow-up to profit from the positive okay. which is about careers yeah i don't think i feel you well on, on this this, yeah. is really, this is really <laughs> one of the biggest questions we get in our uh, coaching work is what should i do now to get promoted in a year or in two years mm. what should i do now to be on a board in a year so what how should i plan my career and really one of the only people you can speak about that with is your coach or your close friends it's not the kind of thing you might talk with your colleagues about. So all of that to say, in the work in the work that I'm doing with Margaret on how do you plan your career, we always think about how do you take that first step? How do you do something really small? So personal example, when I was working on bravery research and still am, 
I set literally a reminder on my calendar. So every day, every working day at 3 p.m., this message popped up, which was a single question to myself. What is the bravest thing I can do right now? Mm. So for me, that worked. That was a tiny habit. And I liked doing it at 3 p.m. because it wasn't the end of my workday. And if I realized I dilly dallied on something or procrastinated, then 3 p.m. was a time when I could still get that. <laughs> still had enough time to get, get something done, at least a small step towards it. I love that idea of asking yourself a coaching question and having it pop up on your calendar. I I like your question because it's an action-oriented question. I ask a question around 10 o'clock every night that pops up and it's what's the best thing that happened to you today? And so it's a nice reminder of gratitude at the end of the day and it typically helps me to get a little bit better attitude <laughs> as I go to sleep. Um, but I love that idea of coaching yourself. How do you do that, Val? Do you actually have it as a calendar reminder? How is that? Or do you think about it at 10 p.m. each night? How do you do it? It's a calendar reminder on my iPhone, and it pops up every night. And um, and my husband also does it. And sometimes we ask each other the question. It's just one of the ways that we end our evening, even when he's traveling. You know, sometimes he'll ask me or I'll ask him. And it's it's just a nice thing to stop because you're so focused on, especially if you have kids or you've got work that you're doing late, it's easy to not stop and reflect on your day and what was good about it and why was it so good. So that's how I coach myself, at least in the evenings. That's that's phenomenal. And even if our listeners take away one thing, I think a question that they really want to focus on, that's certainly moving the dial by just a little bit, but aligned with what you think is important yeah and doing those little things because those things do make a difference i call them pqs powerful questions but we don't have to bombard ourselves with them if you think about what's really important what's really meaningful to me what do i want to remember or what you know the brave question is what do i want to be reminded of who do i want to be so i like that trick yourself into getting started so i you know i i really think that it's important for us to plan. The more busy our schedules get, the more uh-huh. successful we are, the more important it is to plan. And one of the things you say is that, you know, we have this culture where we're just like, well, just do it, just do it, just do it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that can frustrate people because they try to just do it and it doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. So when you say just plan it, <laughs> what, what, are, what are you suggesting? What do we mean? There's some wonderful research. It uh, comes from a professor, Peter Gallwitzer, and it's about, it, it's called implementation intentions, but you really can think about it as if then, if I'm in a certain situation, I am going to do this. So for example, if somebody, simple example, if somebody's uh, trying to make sure that they take their multivitamin in the morning or in the evening, they can place it next to something. They can place it next to their toothbrush or they can place it next to their coffee cup next to the morning food but it's this kind of thing just plan it so we mean two things by just plan it one is there's this phenomenal study that that peter galwitzer ran early in his career about uh, i think of it as the christmas study even though i don't think he thought about it that way it happened to do uh, i'm going to tell you uh, the the most standard psychology joke <laughs> so the standard psychology joke 
is uh, psychology is supposed to be the study of people, but the people who are in psychology studies are usually college sophomores who need to get uh, extra credit on their psych classes and their psych reports. So the joke is that psychology is the study of college sophomores. <laughs> Which is... <laughs> right they're not I, I wouldn't this is this might sound derogatory not that they're not fully formed adults but they're certainly at the early part of their adulthood and so we're studying where are they going what are they so having said all that peter gollitzer studied students in his classes and he said to one group of people go home and you can write this extra credit and you'll get this extra grade so basically that's it if you want to over over the christmas holiday you can go home and write this um, additional paper and you can get you know, some uh, extra credit and then just send it to us and then uh, the other group he said you can get some extra credit when and where are you going to do this mm-hmm. so when are you going to sit down to write this paper and where are you going to be and people would say things like after mass i'm going to sit down and do this or after this particular visit to a family uh, cousin and where i'm going to sit down in the living room surrounded by people but i'll still write the paper or i'm going to go up to my room whatever it is so they said the when and where and the difference was was wild it was something like from 32 percent for one group to something i think it was about 69 percent for the other group so it was wow uh, over double for the people that set an intention so that's why margaret and i say just plan it so write down your oh my gosh val if we had photo on this podcast i would take a photograph of my <laughs> to-do list which also people recommend it shouldn't be more than eight items or else you'll never get them done but that just plan it just put it down and then and then get it done and one of the most wonderful things Margaret and I heard when we went out and did book talks about profit from the positive, we did a book talk at Google and somebody came up to us afterwards and they said, oh, yeah, I, I love Just Planet. In fact, this is how I do it. <laughs> and they said, they said, I write down my to do list and my first item on my to do list is a right to do list. So as soon as I get to the bottom, I cross out the first item. <laughs> I'm going to start doing that because awesome. I'm one of those people. If I've done stuff and I get to the end of the day and I realize it was never on my list, I will add it to my list so that I can cross it off. <laughs> it energizes me. Yes. Yeah, that, that cross off, that's just in our biology. I, I don't know how it relates to running away from tigers but there's something about crossing off. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's really good. It's And it's simple. I mean, I know in coaching, we always want to know, well, when are you going to do it? And who could help you? Or, you know, what's going to make this easier? Or how do you want to be held accountable? All of those things are questions that help you plan it out. And, you know, I think another great question is, what threatens to get in your way? <laughs> you know, yeah. It's kind of like, yeah. why don't you normally do it? I mean, not in an accusatory way, but you know, what is it that typically gets in the way? So like, when I'm wanting to exercise, but I'm feeling like, hmm, I might not get this done, I will put my sneakers and whatever I'm going to wear right on my nightstand. So as soon as I wake up, that's what I see. And I don't have to say, okay, well, where are my tennis shoes? And what am I going to wear? It's, it's just right there. And it's a simple way to plan. Because really, it's in the heat of the moment when we make the decision to take the right action that leads us towards the goal, as opposed to the action or the inaction that's going to move us away from it. And I think one aspect of what you're saying is, in a sense, Val, you're making an if-then for that. If I feel lazy in the morning before going to the gym, and my gosh, who hasn't been there? Yeah. Or if I don't want to do this, or if if uh, 
a really fun invitation comes along, but I, I won't have made a commitment to myself that I'm going to the gym. So that's a wonderful if then, because you can pre-plan in your head <laughs> so you're not stuck with a situation you don't know. Yeah. And, and it does this other thing you talk about, which is that we need to set habits. And a lot of times mm-hmm. we're setting goals that we don't have the habits for yet. <laughs> I mean, to me, that's really profound. It's simple. But it could be a real time saver if you step back for a moment and say, well, what habits do I need to create before I move on to I'm going to accomplish something that requires habits I haven't yet adopted in my life? Yeah, just how think of again, we talked about the body a little bit. Think of what relief it could be in your body if it were automatic to go to the gym or if it's automatic to to do the client work first at the beginning of your day. What? What can, <laughs> where can you release your thoughts to? What can you, how can you focus on in what directions will I grow my business? Because the actual operations of the business are as procedural as possible, as mm-hmm. habit and routine based. Hey, Val, you know, something you said about uh, the question that you ask about not what are my obstacles that are going to step in my, stand in my way. Mm-hmm. Do you know this WHOOP framework by Gabriel Odingen about um, putting an obstacle into your planning for success? I'm not. I don't, I'm not familiar with it. Let, let me share it with you because I think actually even your reaction, what, what you'll think of it, is really curious to me. There's a woman who's written a book, Rethinking Positive Thinking, and it's uh, by Gabriel Odingen. And her the framework is really simple. It's W O O P, and it's wish outcome obstacle plan what is your wish i want to be a healthier person Mm -hmm. what is your outcome i'm going to be competing in the spartan race for example that's something i did the uh, spartan obstacle race what is your obstacle i don't really uh, love weight training that is an obstacle that's a personal obstacle i don't really love weight training what's your plan you have to overcome something in yourself that obstacle is likely a self-imposed obstacle i can make weight training fun and there are different ways and the way i've chosen there are these things called movement classes which use your your own body weight and you you do athletic now you you're you're really strong at gymnastics so you do those kinds of moves so that is my instantiation of wish outcome obstacle obstacle plan. plan i love that Okay, so there's one more area I'm going to ask you about. Mm. And it's this whole idea of working less and accomplishing more. And I want to just share that when I wrote It's About Time, a big part of it and and what I really encourage readers to do is to experiment with change. And so you don't have to make these big declarations that you're going to change something forever. (laughs) This is the last time I'm ever going to, and you fill in the blank, But to say, let me try this for a certain period of time, or let's do something a little differently together. And that's what my husband and I were doing. And so one of the ideas that came to me, and I recognize this is something that I can do because I have my own business, but Mm -hmm. even when I, the first time I thought about doing the work I do now and writing books and so forth, I remember, I was 20, I was Um, studying journalism in grad school. And I remember specifically thinking in my mind, I want to have a family. I want to be married and have a family, but I also want to have a career and I want to be in control of my time. 
So I don't think I want to climb a corporate ladder. And I had always had an entrepreneurial spirit, even as a kid. So this was all in my head. But when I got to the point where I was happily married with children, I was treating my business like I had a regular eight to five job. And I had to be there at this time and leave at this time. And suddenly one day I was like, you know, you did this so that you could be flexible with your time. So I challenged myself. I was like, what, what would feel really like super (laughs) amazing? What would take some pressure off? And when you're feeling like you don't have enough time and I decided to try an experiment for a month where I would work every other day. Mm, I actually remember you doing this. Yes, keep going. It went on for a year and I'm about to do it again. this summer so so the month went so well I was like well I'm getting more done and the year went so well that it was our best year as a company and I worked fewer hours and what I found was I was much more productive on the three days that I worked I came in on Monday, I knew I couldn't take the day off on Tuesday if I didn't get all the things that had to be done on Monday because I wouldn't be back until Wednesday. So it was it was a built-in pressure that created focus, but then my mind got a mental break and I was really fresh coming back on, you know, that following day. So when I see work less accomplished more, I think if I saw that 5 years ago, I would have said, what? I don't know. That sounds nice, but I don't know if it really works. But in my experience and the experiment that I did, one of many that I did with the book, it actually worked. So maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody doesn't have the ability to say, okay, I'm going to work every other day. But what do you mean by this? And what are some practical ways that we can apply the idea that we could work less but accomplish more? There has been a study on people working four days instead of five. So your experiment and experience of taking those two days off similarly was a study at a consulting company where those four days people were more productive than in the five. So it's uh, there's just something about real rejuvenation, not just the eight hours of sleep that we should get as rejuvenation, but real real rejuvenation, which again, we can just feel in our bodies. What what did you do on your days off when you were doing that? Oh, um, Jeff and I sometimes had staycations, of course, with him being a pilot, he's either all here with nothing to do work wise, yeah. or he's gone. So our staycations might be a hike, um, yeah. we might just have a date, or we might not really do much of anything. Um, I would do things with Alex, maybe, you know, at that time, he was still in preschool, so he didn't have to be at school. So just keep him out of school and do whatever we he wanted to do go to the park. Um, It it wasn't anything to do with work. Um, And then um, uh, we did just little hobbies. I mean, we redid our, uh, our backyard. (laughs) We were creative and in doing some things. And it was, I looked forward to it so much. Um, Yeah. It was, and and that motivated me on the work side to be as productive as possible because that time was so valuable. I love how the way you're describing what you did on the day off, every example you're giving is of you being present, going on a hike, taking Alex out of preschool so you can spend the time with him. So all of these, redoing your garden, 
just all of these things that are really i am physically in the moment there and we we do we plan and we should do just plan it we plan we organize we get we check things off our checklist we do when we're working and to actually let our brain go into this deep level of thought when we're not occupying it with work is sometimes one of the most rejuvenating things we can do so when we do come back did you ever find that when you came back on a work day you were just full of creative ideas Oh, yeah. And actually, the creative ideas sometimes would come on my off days. Mm -hmm. And I would I would try not to get sucked into them. But I would just talk into my uh, voice recorder. <laughs> so, oh, my God. Now I like talking to my voice recorder all the time. <laughs> I, I, if anybody tracked my voice recorder, I, I, I switched phones and I had to transfer over something like 300 messages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just record on the voice recorder. Okay, I'm good. I captured it. I don't have to think about it anymore or worry that I'm going to forget it. Um, and so in our own lives, I think we have to realize that working, you know, sometimes working those extra hours, if we're doing it too often, actually makes us less productive, mm -hmm. makes our brains more tired. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And we might think we're getting more done. And sometimes it's that pressure that, well, everybody else is doing it, so maybe I should too. Um, but perhaps we should think twice about that um, and look at productivity in a different way. Yes. Wow. Yes. Sunia, I could just go on and on <laughs> asking you questions. I so appreciate um, you. I appreciate your work, but I really appreciate your friendship. And I'm so excited that I've gotten to share you with um, with my listeners, with my readers. Um, and Everyone should know, as I've mentioned over and over, Profit from the Positive, really great book, really great audio book. Um, and Silicon Valley Change is Cinea's company, um, and svchange.com is the website. But Cinea, your dad has also written some books. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I'd love to. I think it also fits with doing things in a small way. My dad was a former mathematician and then a, a, a trader, a financial investment trader. And he just said, hey, once he retired, he has grandkids, my kids and my brother's kids. And he was thinking kids don't really hear a lot about ethics or how to choose what's right and wrong and what's good and bad. What if there were a more almost mathematical or more methodical way <laughs> to think about it? So he's written three books for uh, young kids about ages four to eight, and then three books for kids over eight, which are a little Harry Potter-esque, but with a, a girl heroine with Chloe. And I, I think I, I also... They are very small steps, and he's really uh, into parents talking about things with their kids. So there are little scenarios, like, should you do this or not? Is this a lie or not? If you go to your friend's house, but you don't tell your parents that, is that a lie or not? And as a grown-up, you would call that a lie of omission. But as a five-year-old, you think, well, I just didn't tell my parents. <laughs> no, actually, let's talk about that with your with your parents. So that's that's what he does. Well, we have the books because you sent them to us. And one of the things that we've always done is read to our kids. And so uh, Jeff has read your dad's books out loud to Sophie and Addie. And we use it for conversation. And we've had some really, really great conversations about what's right and what's wrong. And how do you make decisions? And how do you even deal with 
peer pressure and so forth. And and the books are so good. I think it's I think it's awesome because I asked you what could I promote of yours, and you said I want them to know about my dad's books. <laughs> so can you give I, us I the do. names of the books? Sure, they're all in the Truth series. If you look up my last name, M-A-Y-M-I-N, and then my dad's first name is Zach, Z-A-K, Zach Wyman. They're the Truth series. So if you look up Truth and my last name, you will find them. Truth and Zach Wyman. He's got a few called The Merchant of Dreams, The uh, the Crying Heart. But really, if I were to recommend one, it would be The Flying Fox and the two books that, that follow. Yes. The, it, you just find it as Flying Fox. So what is a flying fox? It's this mystical creature, and then Chloe doesn't know, should she follow it? or not it's it just takes you to a place where you can really think am i making a good decision and you can have that discussion with your child and i also thought about it when you said this is really a program for successful women we're successful in our business and what we're moving forward and these are probably things we're thinking about but maybe our kids don't ask us those questions so how can we nudge those conversations yeah and this is a great tool to do that because it's a story and stories are easy to be able to talk about and pick apart which is what we've done in our own family Sonia thank you so 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 much this has been a joy as usual thank you such, <laughs> such a pleasure and continued all the best wishes to all of your readers and listeners Thanks for listening to this episode. Starting your dream career as a coach doesn't mean you have to start over. That's why we created a three-day online coach training intensive, or CTI, to give you the practical tools and knowledge you need to begin coaching immediately. Plus, it's the first step in becoming a certified personal and executive coach. Register now for our next upcoming CTI event at capinstitute.com. That's C-A-P-P institute.com. Thanks for listening.